بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Let's have a quick recap of uh, last week's lesson طيب so Imam Ahmad Imam Ahmad رحمه الله تعالى What did he say concerning this hadith of إنما الأعمال بالنيات What did Imam Ahmad say concerning the hadith إنما الأعمال بالنيات He said that this hadith, إِنَّمَ الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ is one of, the, one of those a hadith that Islam revolves around. He said that Islam revolves around, the usul of Islam go back to three ahadith. He said that the uh, usul of Islam go back to three ahadith. Does anybody remember those ahadith? The narrators of those ahadith or the meaning of those ahadith? Hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, which is concerning... Does anybody remember the hadith? من أحدث في أمر من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو رد. Whoever introduces into this affair of ours, into this deen, that which is not from it, it shall be rejected. Second hadith. Second hadith. The hadith of Umar رضي الله تعالى عنه. This hadith here. إنما الأعمال بالنيات. Indeed, actions are considered based upon their intentions. Third hadith. Nu'man ibn Bashir, which is إِنَّ الْحَلَالِ بَيِّنْ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامِ بَيِّنْ The halal is clear, the haram is clear, and between the two are mm, those dubious matters. طيب, how is it the how, how do these, how is it the case that these uh, three ahadith, the usul of Islam, go back to it? How is it the case that these three ahadith, the usul of Islam, it goes back to it? Hadith of Nu'man. Ahsant. The hadith of Nu'man is concerning fulfilling the obligatory actions and keeping away from the uh, prohibited matters. The hadith of Umar is in relation to the intentions of the actions that you do. And the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha is having mutaba'ah, is following the Prophet in those actions that you do. Yep, so the hadith of Nu'man is essentially the whole of the deen. Because the deen is what? Keeping away from the haram matters and fulfilling the commands of Allah and being cautious concerning the doubtful matters. That's the whole of the deen. But you can't do that. You can't achieve that. You can't practice that. Unless you do two things, unless there are, there are two conditions that need to be fulfilled. One of them is sincerity, and the second is following the uh, sunnah of Allah's Messenger as far as that action is concerned. And those two matters, those two conditions, they are found in the hadith of Umar and the hadith of Aisha. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ إِنَّمَا means only, you can translate it as indeed only. Uh, it refers to or it... Uh, um, it gives the meaning of limitation, limiting the, the uh, information to the subject, the khabar to the subject of that particular sentence. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَّاتِ طَيَّبْ What's the purpose of the niyyah? What does the niyyah do? Anybody besides Adam, besides Yunus? Um, okay, so the niyyah... Uh, the purpose behind the acts of worship that we engage in is to ensure that they are purely for the sake of Allah. But something else that we mentioned, it differentiates, it distinguishes between adat and ibadat. Habits, customs, things that you do just on a habitual basis, for example, and uh, ibadat, acts of worship. Uh, who can give an example of how the niyyah distinguishes something from being an adah into an ibadah. That's, uh, we're going to get to that. That's in terms of converting an adah, something that is, as far as the face, face value of the, of the action is concerned, it's just an adah, it's, it's just a habit, like sleeping. And then we spoke about how that thing can be converted into an act of worship. But we're, we're talking about an action that a person does 
and uh, 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 that action what's the thing that distinguishes it from being uh, or what's the thing that yeah what's the thing that distinguishes it from being an act of worship and being uh, an aada give me an example uh. no hajj is an act of worship so hajj is an act of worship a, a bath yes ahsant somebody has a ghusl he has a bath that bath that he has is yeah, he, he does it in the exact same manner that we do when we, yeah, when we make ghusl for Jum'ah for, from Janaba. Uh, but he does it لتبرد. he does it in order to cool off oh okay it's not in this, this country he does it to warm himself up Sheikh Abdul Muhsin he mentions لتبرد. he has a bath to cool himself down you do that in Saudi Arabia but here we do it to warm ourselves up but the point being is that you have a bath just for the purpose of a bath Somebody else does the exact same thing and it's an act of worship. He does it in accordance to the sunnah. It's an act of worship. Why? Because he did it in order to, to lift himself from being in the state of Janaba. So what's the thing that distinguished this, these two acts? One wasn't, yani, both are in their appearance exactly the same. Both in their appearance are exactly the same. Why is one an ada and the other an ibadah? The niyyah. So that's one thing that the niyyah does. It, uh, it distinguishes between adat and ibadat, between acts of worship and habits. Another, th- another thing that the niyyah does. I said no Adam allowed today. <laughs> Who can give us the answer? And then uh, if nobody is able to provide the answer, then Adam will steal the show. So the niyyah, it distinguishes adat from ibadat, habits from acts of worship. For example, a ghusl, what's the thing that, uh, uh, what's the thing that makes that ghusl become an act of worship? It's the niyyah behind it. He didn't just have a bath just to cool off or just to warm, up, warm himself up. He did it in order to get out of the state of janaba, for example. So that's one thing that a niyyah does. It distinguishes habits from acts of worship. Something else that Niyyah does. Ahsan Barakalafiq. Ahlu Manchester, they have, they've taken a show today. The people of Manchester. Huh? Oh, no, Adam. I mean, no. Uh, okay. So they distinguish acts of worship one from the other. Niyat intentions distinguish acts of worship one from the other. How? Two people praying two rak'at. One perhaps is praying Tahiyatul Masjid. Perhaps one is praying Salatul Fajr, or perhaps he's praying, uh, he's making Qasr of a Dhuhr, he's a traveler, for example. Okay. Yes, that's one example. That's one example of how acts of worship within the, within the category of acts of worship, the niyyah is the thing that distinguishes one from the other. Both people, they're doing the exact same thing. They are both engaged in the exact same act of worship. Both of them are praying two, two units of prayer, two rak'at of prayer. Why is one different to the other? Because of the niyyah, because of the intention behind it. One is doing, for example, tahiyat al-masjid, the other is pr- pr- praying uh, an obligatory prayer, for example. Indeed, actions are by intention. What's the hidden meaning? What's the implied meaning? Indeed, actions are what? Indeed, actions exist by intentions. Indeed, actions are what? By the intentions. Uh. Yes, that's right. Indeed, actions are only by their intentions, the messenger said. What's the implied meaning here, though? Uh, just like we say, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Ya'ani, what's the implied meaning? La ma'bud bihaq illallah. There is no deity. Uh, in reality, in truth, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's an implied meaning here. When the Messenger said, Indeed, actions are by their intentions. There's an implied meaning. What's the implied meaning? Ah. That's right, that's right. If you do an action, no doubt, it can't be possible for a human being to do an action, except that there's an action, that there's an intention behind it. But the uh, 
معنى مقدر the implied meaning here they are only يعني considered they are considered معتبرة indeed actions are considered based upon their intentions is he going to be rewarded before by يعني is the action righteous before Allah is it corrupt before Allah this all goes back to the person's intention طيب وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى So we said concerning the first part إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ This is concerning the action itself whether it's righteous or whether it's evil or whether it's neither of the two just something that is permitted and then the second sentence وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى and for every person is what he intended this is concerning the the reward the reward the reward that he gets from the action so for example, if the person, he prayed Salatul Fajr, or he prayed Salatul Isha, or he gave in charity, it's an act of worship. But the intention behind it, so if the intention behind it was to please Allah, then he'll get that. He'll get the pleasure of Allah, he'll get, he'll get the reward from Allah. But if the intention behind it was to show off, was to be seen, to be heard, then that person, he will get what you get as a result of that, i.e. the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Third bit. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Why did the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam make i'adah? What's the meaning of this? He for whom, or he, whose hijrah is for Allah and his Messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his Messenger. Again, what's the ma'ani al-muqaddarah wara'aha? What's the implied meaning behind the statement? The Messenger says, He for he whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger. What does this sentence mean? Huh? Sincerity. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an example uh, emphasizing that the actions need to be sincere. That's right. That, that, that's one of the reasons why the messenger, he didn't say, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَثَوَابُهُ كَذَا وَكَذَا يعني the one whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger then his reward is this and he made i'ada of the jumla he uh, repeated the jumla because the one who intends to make hijrah for Allah and his messenger then he wants to get reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that regard and that is what he's going to get but what's the implied meaning of this? following the sunnah and doing it for Allah فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَةُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نِيَةً وَقَصْتًا He whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger as far as his intention and his aim is concerned فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثَوَابًا وَأَجْرًا Then his hijrah is going to be for Allah and his messenger as far as the reward is concerned. That's the meaning of it. So it's not just the fact that the messenger is merely repeating the jumla. It's not like the messenger is saying he whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger. No, there's a meaning behind it. There are implied meanings behind it. What's the implied meaning behind it? That he whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, as far as his intention is concerned, then his hijrah is going to be for Allah and his messenger, as far as the reward is concerned. But as far as the second sentence is concerned, وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُسِيبُهَا he whose hijrah is for the dunya in order to acquire it, or imra'atin yankihuha, or for a woman that he wants to marry, فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَجَرَ إِلَيْهِ Then his hijrah is for whatever he intended. There is some balagha, there is some eloquence in this wording of the Messenger Why did the Messenger say, فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَجَرَ إِلَيْهِ Then that person who made hijrah for a woman, for dunya, and his hijrah is for whatever he made hijrah for. What does that indicate? Ahsant Ahmad, barakallahu feek. It is, yani not even worth mentioning. Whatever he made dunya for, the woman, the dunya, the business, the whatever it was, not worth mentioning. So out of tahqeer, out of tahqeer, not worth mentioning, looking down upon that thing, disdain of that thing, the Messenger, alayhi salatu he worded it like this. Oh yeah, so that is as far as the first uh, six parts of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's explanation of this hadith is concerned. How many parts did you say it is? Nine parts. 
Obviously, the ninth part is just a summary of the benefits. Part number seven. Part number seven is the fact that um, it's, um, it's been mentioned in some of the books of history that this hadith was as a result of somebody emigrating to Al-Madinah because he wanted to marry a woman, a woman called uh, Umm Qais. That she said, you can marry me, but you can only marry me if you make hijrah to Medina. This is something that is, uh, is being mentioned in the books of history. But, Sheikh, uh, but Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he says, that there isn't actually any authentic chain of narration, chain of narration for those type of reports. That's the seventh part. The eighth part is that uh, a niyyah, its location is what? You make dhikr. The location of dhikr is the, the tongue, right? You pray salah. So the location where the actions of your salah occur are the, the limbs. Niyyah, where does the niyyah occur? The heart, okay? So the niyyah, mahalluha al-qalb. Niyyah, its location, it is in the heart. And pronouncing it is a bid'ah. So for example, you standing up for salah and saying, I intend to pray salah. Uh, Facing the Qibla, uh, behind the Imam, uh, for Salat al-Dhuhr, for Raka'at. I pray only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of this is a bid'ah. All of this is a, is a bid'ah. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin, in his explanation of, of this hadith, he mentions a story about a man who came in to the masjid. He comes into the masjid and he does this. He does this. He starts making talaffuz. He starts... Uh, uh, يعني, uh, verbally mentioning his niyyah. The niyyah, it happens in the heart. It's an action. It occurs in the heart. This man, he comes into the masjid and he starts to announce his niyyah. I'm going to pray towards al-qibla behind such and such an imam for raka'at, this, that. <laughs> so he's about to make takbirat al-ihram. He's about to make takbirat al-ihram. He's about to make the takbirat al-ihram. An Ammi, a general Joe, besides him, that's next to him. Before this individual makes a takbirat al-hiram, the Ammi, he, he says to him, my brother, wait, wait, wait. You forgot to mention today's date. You forgot to mention today's day. You forgot to mention today's year. <laughs> so the point being, Ikhwan, that the talaffuz, even though many of us perhaps used to do it as children, perhaps, you know, the people that uh, were... Yani they, that educated us, they weren't aware of these things. But uh, a talaffuz, pronouncing your intention, is not something that is from the sunnah, rather it is a bid'ah, therefore do not do it. Do not pronounce your intention. Why? Because it's an action. Intention is an action, and the action of the intention occurs within the heart. Yani it could lead to that, no doubt. But uh, even if it is not showing off, even if a person does the niyyah without showing off, the point is, is that it's a bid'ah, it's an innovation. Ayyub, number nine, mimma yustafadu min al-hadith. Number one, so number nine, those benefits that are taken from the hadith. Number one, annahu la amal illa biniyyah. There is no action that occurs except with a niyyah. Number two, anna al-a'mal mu'tabara biniyyatiha. Actions are considered based upon their intentions. Number three. That the reward of the doer of an action is based upon his intention. Number four. That the scholar, he should strike examples. He should provide examples. He should give examples in order to clarify things. Person, yani he comes across a certain issue, a certain qaida, a certain principle of the deen. For example, like the one that we mentioned before. The niyyah is there to make tamiz bain al-adat wal-ibadat. The niyyah is there to distinguish between acts of worship and between habits. And then there's an example that clarifies that. For example, al-ghusl. Person makes al-ghusl. What's the thing that distinguishes that ghusl that he made from being an ibadah? Or an adah, 
It's a niyyah behind it. So here's an example that clarifies it. And this is something that the ulama, they do in emulation of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Number five. The virtue of al-hijrah. Because the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam used it as an example in this hadith. And likewise, Amr ibn Asr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, أَمَا عَلِمْتَ أَنَّ الْإِسْلَامِ يَهْدِمُ مَا كَانَ قَبْلَهُ did you not know that Islam, it does away with, it does away with that which was before it, meaning once you become Muslim, once you say Shahada, all the evil that you've done before Islam, all of that is done away with. And then he said, الْهِجْرَةَ تَهْدِمُ مَا كَانَ قَبْلَهَا This is a shahid. That hijrah, migrating, it likewise does away with that which came before it. وَأَنَّ الْحَجَّ يَهْدِمُ مَا كَانَ قَبْلَهُ And likewise, Hajj, it does away with that which came before it. Number six, أَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ يُعْجَرُ أَوْ يُعْزَرُ أَوْ يُحْرَمُ بِحَسَبْ نِيَّتِهِ That a person, he is either going to be rewarded, or he is sinful, or he is deprived, based upon his niyyah. Number seven, أَنَّ الْأَعْمَالِ بِحَسَبْ مَا تَكُونُ وَسِيلَةً لَهُ فَقَدْ يَكُونُ شَيْءُ الْمُبَاحُ فِي الْأَصْلِ يَكُونُ طَاعَةً إِذَا نَوَى بِهِ الْإِنسَانِ خَيْرًا كَالْأَكْلِ وَالشُرْبِ إِذَا نَوَى بِهِ التَّقَوِّي عَلَى الْعِبَادَةِ So as we mentioned before, something can be an adah, something can be a habit, something can be a custom, something can be something that is permitted in its origin, not something that is haram, and not something that is an act of worship in and of itself. However, that thing is con can be considered an act of worship if it is the case that it is a means and an avenue towards, towards uh, worship. For example, a person eating food in order to become strengthened to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by that strength. And the eighth one, أَنَّ الْعَمَلَ الْوَاحِدْ يَكُونُ لِلْإِنسَانِ أَجْرًا وَيَكُونُ لِلْإِنسَانِ حُرْمَانًا One action it can be a source of reward for you. And it can be a source of being deprived. It can also be a source of you being punished. How? Because a person, for example, performs a salah, an act of worship. That very same act can be a source of reward. You get rewarded because you do it sincerely for the sake of Allah. But it can also be an act by which you're punished. Because of which you're punished. How? A person, he, he engages in an act of worship to be known, to be seen, to be heard. That very same act, very same act can be the cause and the reason of a person being punished. So that is our brief study of the first hadith. The hadith that Imam al-Nawi collects in his Arba'een as for the second hadith and that is the hadith of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu أنه قال بينما نحن جلوس عند رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ذات يوم إذ طلع علينا رجل شديد بياض الثياب شديد سواد الشعر while we Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu he says while we were sitting with the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام on a day a man came to us with extremely white clothing and extremely black hair. لا يرى عليه أثر السفر ولا يعرفه منا أحد. No sign, no trace of travelling could be seen upon him, and none of us knew him. Why is that so significant? Why is Umar saying this? What's the significance behind these two matters? A man comes with extremely black hair, extremely white clothing, and you can't see any sign of traveling upon him. And nobody knows him from amongst us. Why is that significant? So for example, somebody comes inside of here. Never seen him before. 
absolutely white clothing. Absolutely jet black hair. Is that strange? Not strange. If somebody came in right now, right, and we don't know him, somebody comes in right now, absolutely white clothing, absolutely jet black hair, and nobody here knows him. It's not really that strange. You know, it can happen. Why is this is, yani, what he's trying to say here, this is totally and absolutely out of the norm. How? Why? Ahsant. Ahsant Because in those days, they didn't have Citroen C4 Picassos. They didn't have BMWs. They didn't have cars. So if you're going to be traveling from one place to another, you're traveling on what? You're traveling on some type of animal. Or you're coming by foot. So what's going to happen? They didn't have Lancashire City Council paving the roads for them. Paved roads didn't exist like, like it is now. So therefore it was all what? Dusty and sandy. If it's dusty and sandy, what's going to happen to your clothes? They're going to become dirty. The heat, remember, we're talking about, we're not talking about Burnley or uh, yeah, Europe. We're talking about the climate where it's extremely hot. So the heat's going to be beating down upon them. All of that is going to be what? Noticeable, identifiable, detected on the, on the appearance of the person that you see. You can see whether he's a traveler or not based upon his clothing, based upon his face, based upon how tidy he looks, based upon... Okay, so maybe not, he's not a traveler. But if he's from the residence of Medina, if he's from the, the Sahaba, they would have known him. But neither of the two things. So you can tell he's not a traveler. At the same time, nobody knows him. This is the reason why the companion, this is the reason why Umar highlighted this. And then he said, حَتَّى جَلَسَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ فَأَسْنَدَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ إِلَى رُكْبَتَيْهِ وَوَضَعَ كَفَّيْهِ عَلَى فَخِذَيْهِ وَقَالْ يَا مُحَمَّدْ أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِسْلَامِ Up until this man, this strange man that nobody had ever seen before, nobody had ever met before, up until he came and he sat next to the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام. And he placed his hand, or he joined his thigh, his knees, with the knees of the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام. And he placed his hands upon his thighs, upon his own thighs. And then he said, Ya Muhammad, akhbirni anil Islam. Oh Muhammad, tell me about Islam. What's significant about this? Prophet's name. Did the companions, Ridwanullah ta'ala alayhim, those that were living with the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, those that were there in Medina, did they used to address the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam by his first name? No. Just like we don't address our fathers with their first name. We don't say, Ya so-and-so. Out of adab, you say, Oh my father. Out of adab, you say, Ya Abu Fulan. So in a similar fashion, so who are the ones that would address the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam by his first name? The Arab, the Bedouins. This is the custom of the Bedouins. This is the habit of the Bedouins. Because there were people that were Qasiyah, tough and rough, and most of them, they weren't Tulab al-ilm. They would not come and study uh, and sit in the halaqat of the Messenger, alayhi salatu Most of them would live in their, in their, in their uh, villages and, and in their places, seeking or tending to their flock and tending to their animals over there. So this was the custom of the custom of the Arab. Not, but none of the companions knew who this person was. And if he was, if he's from the people that are from the Arab, if he's from the people from the remote villages, then why is it the case we're not seeing anything from the signs of traveling upon him? So this person, he says to the Messenger, والسلام, this stranger, he says to the Messenger, والسلام, this person that none of the companions knew, he says to the Messenger, والسلام, Oh Muhammad. Tell me about Islam. So the messenger, he said, Al-Islam is to testify that no God has a right of being worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. 
وتقيم الصلاة to establish the prayer وتؤتي الزكاة to give the zakah وتصوم رمض وتصوم رمضان to fast in Ramadan وتحج البيت إن استطعت إليه سبيلا and to make hajj to the bait and to make hajj to the bait to the house يعني الكعبة if it is the case that you are able قال صدقت he said you've spoken the truth imagine that companions with one Allah Taala عليهم sitting in the company of the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام a man that they don't know a man that he doesn't look like he's a traveler a man that addresses the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام in the same manner that the Bedouin Arabs did in order for the companions يعني to uh, to, to emphasize the fact that this person is a stranger. He says, O oh Muhammad, tell me about Islam. When the Messenger tells them about Islam, he says, Sadaqta, you've spoken the truth. Somebody asks you a question, you give them the response, you give them the answer, and then the person says, Sadaqta, you've spoken the truth. So the companions, they said, Fa'ajibna lahu yas'aluhu wa yusaddiquhu. So we became amazed at that, that he asks him a question and then he, يُصَدِّقُهُ And then he says to the messenger that you've spoken the truth. And then the man, he said, قَالَ فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِيمَانِ He said, tell me about Iman. Tell me about Iman. What is Iman? What is faith? What is Iman? Al-Iman is to acknowledge, to admit and acknowledge something that necessitates accepting it and announcing it, declaring it, manifesting it. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, he said that Iman, it is al-i'tiraf, it is to admit and to acknowledge that acknowledgement, that attestation, that admi admission that necessitates accepting whatever you are admitting, accepting whatever you are acknowledging, and likewise declaring it and manifesting it. That for that reason, Iman is what? Iman is what? What's the definition of Iman with Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah? Belief in the heart, statement upon the tongue, actions upon the, li upon, the ling upon the limbs, increases with obedience, decreases with disobedience. طيب, so based upon that, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he gives Jibra'il, he, he gives this man the usul of Iman, the pillars of Iman. He says, Al-Iman an tu'mina billahi. Iman is to believe in, believe in Allah wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawmil akhiri wal qadri khayrihi wa sharrih and to believe in Allah the angels, the, the books, the prophets the final day and to believe in decree the good of it and the bad of it Allah sadaqta He said you have spoken the truth Then he said قَالَ فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِحْسَانِ Tell me about Ihsan. Tell me about Ihsan. Yani perfection in worship. Qala an ta'budallaha ka'annaka tarahu. Fa'in lam takun tarahu fa'innahu yaraak. The messenger said, it is to worship Allah as though you see him. And even though you don't see him, then surely he sees you. These are the three levels of Islam. The first one, its pillars are five. We've mentioned them. The second, it's pill the second level, its pillars are six. We've mentioned them. The highest level is Ihsan, and its pillar is one, and that is to worship Allah as though you see Him, even though He doesn't, even though you don't see Him, but He surely sees you. Then this man, he said, "Fa'akhbirni an sa'ah. Tell me about the sa'ah. Tell me about the hour. Sa'ah. That's a term that's in reference to." Yawm al-Qiyamah Sa'a is a term that's in reference to the day of standing Yawm al-Din, the day of judgment Qala mal mas'oolu anha bi-a'lama min al-sa'il Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam He replied by saying The one that is being questioned 
he knows no more than the one that is being questioned, than, than the questioner himself. Yani, I don't know when day of judgment is going to be, no more than you do. No more than you, the one that is questioning me. So this man, he said, this strange man, this man that the companions didn't know of, he said, then tell me about the signs of it, the signs of the hour, the signs of the day of standing. From the signs the Messenger mentioned concerning the day of standing is that the uh, 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 is that the slave woman shall give birth to her mistress and that you're going to see the barefoot naked and destitute shepherds competing and vying against one another in erecting tall buildings this man he then got up and he left then I who's the I here then I I remained for a while and then the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said to me Ya Umar do you know who the questioner is I said Allah and his messenger know better he said this is Jibreel he came to you to teach you your deen so this hadith on Azim ya ikhwan this hadith has a great station and status in our deen this hadith in fact some of Ahlul Ilm they call it Umm Sunnah What's the name for Surah Al-Fatiha? Umm Al-Kitab Ahsant What does that mean? Umm literally means mother but in this context what does it mean? Ah. Sorry I can't hear you Yeah so literally means mother but in this context what does it mean? Hey. Specific, yeah. What's that? Somalian? <laughs> summary, summary, sorry. Sorry, yeah. 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 Well, the brother mentioned it's a general. So, but well, the question was, what does Um Al Kitab mean? Yeah, it is the foundation of the book. Fatiha is the foundation of the Quran. As Akhuna uh, Ali mentioned, Surah Al Fatiha, it comes with everything that is in the Quran, Mujmalan. In general, and everything that comes after it is mufassalan. Is now detail concerning what is mujmal in Surah Al-Fatiha. It's detail concerning what is general in Surah Fatiha. In a similar fashion, some of the people of knowledge have mentioned concerning this hadith here. Now, this hadith is um a sunnah. It's the um of a sunnah. Just like Fatiha is the Umm of Al-Qur'an, this hadith they have mentioned it is Umm al-Sunnah. It is what? The mother, يعني, literally the mother of the Sunnah, but يعني, it is the foundation of the Sunnah. Meaning, this hadith here, our deen in its entirety is mentioned here, is contained within here generally. The whole of the deen, because all of the three levels of the deen are found in this hadith. So the whole of the deen in its generality is in this hadith and then what comes after it from the other ahadith there are specific or there are yani, the specifics concerning that the specifics concerning what is in this particular hadith so, this, so based upon that this hadith is a hadithun azim jiddan concerning this Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad his explanation obviously we're not going to be able to uh, go into it maybe just the first part today very briefly but Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, his sharh to this is consisting of 12 parts. 
both parts. So concerning the first part, it is the fact that Imam uh, Imam Muslim he records his hadith just like Imam al-Bukhari did. But Imam Muslim he places this hadith at the beginning of his sahih. Imam Muslim places this hadith Second hadith at the beginning of his sahih. Imam al-Bukhari, he has his sahih. Imam Muslim, he has his, he has his sahih. Which is the hadith that Imam al-Bukhari places at the beginning of his sahih? Innam al-A'mal bin Niyat, which is the first hadith in the collection of Imam al-Nawiz Arba'in. Imam Muslim, he places in his sahih as the first hadith, this hadith here, the hadith of Jibreel, which happens to be the second hadith that Imam al-Nawi places in his collection of 40 hadith. Tayyip, so that's the first part. The second part is basically the context of this hadith. The context of this hadith. Um, and it's, uh, so Imam Muslim basically in his, in his uh, sahih, not only does he cite this particular wording of the hadith, but likewise, he mentions to us the context within this hadith, uh, within which this hadith was narrated. There was in the time of the, what is the first innovation to occur? The first innovation to occur. No, no before the Qadariya. Khawarij. Khawarij. Second one? Shia, the Rafida. Third one was these. The Qadariya. Those that deny. Uh, those that deny uh, Al-Qadr and they have different factions between them but the point being is that these people who deny Al-Qadr they were the third sect what was the first fourth one the Murji'ah Murji'ah so as for the third people the third sect it's a Qadariya who was the founder of the Qadariya Ma'bad al-Juhli so now this started to emerge emerge in the time Ibn Umar Okay? Put this in context now. In the time of Ibn Umar who died in the year uh, uh, 73 after Hijrah, in his time, within his time, this third sect emerged. So now, some from the Tabi'een, they came in order to ask the companions concerning this fitna. So now we're going to read the hadith or read the report that Imam Muslim, Imam Muslim he cites this hadith, uh, the hadith of Jibreel, but he mentions the context that, it was me- that this hadith was uh, reported in. So after يعني, he mentions, he cites the hadith, he cites the chain of narration. To Yahya ibn Ya'mar. Who says, Kana awwala man qala fil qadr bil basrah ma'bad al juhani. We're going to close with this, with, this, uh, with this bit here, with this uh, report. The first one to speak about al qadr, yani to speak with the innovation of al qadr, was, was ma'bad al juhani. Fantalaktu ana wa humayd ibn Abdul Rahman al himyari hajani aw mu'tamirain. So then I, Ya'ani, Yahya ibn Ya'mar, and Humayd ibn Abd rahman al-Himyari, the two of us, we went off to perform either Hajj or Umrah. فَقُلْنَا لَوْ لَقِينَ أَحَدًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ فَسَأَلْنَاهُ عَمَّا يَقُولُ هَاُولَاءِ فِي الْقَدْرِ So we said to each other, let us go and um, ask the companions, meet the companions, and if we meet them, we can ask them about this affair of Qadr about this affair of Qadr that, that is being spoken about in, in, in Basra. فَهُفِّقَ لَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بِنْ عُمَرَ بِنْ الْخَطَّابِ دَاخِلِنَا الْمَسْجِدِ So then we ended up coming across Abdullah ibn Umar عنهما, entering into the masjid entering, entering into uh, uh, the masjid فاكتفته فاكتنفته انا وصاحبي 
So then me and my companion, we ended up surrounding Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala And if you go to Al-Madinah, you'll see this is what the, this is what the Talib al-Ilm does. He tries to يعني, come to the ulama. You'll see a big gathering of students around one alim. Why? Because of the fact that they realize the value of this knowledge so that they can get the benefit from this knowledge. So this way they surrounded him. One on his right, the other on his left. So then I assume that my, my companion, he is going to give me the authority, he's going to authorize uh, speaking to me. He's going uh, 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 to give me the authority to speak. To, to, to Ibn Umar. So then Yahya Ibn Yamar he said to Ibn Umar, Ya Aba Abdul Rahman, indeed there has appeared between us, Yani in Basra. There has appeared amongst us a people that recite the Qur'an and they pursue knowledge and then he mentioned things about them. And they likewise claim that there is no qadr, there is no pre-decree. And that the matter is just unuf, يعني جديد. يعني the matter in terms of decree, the matter in terms of our actions and what occurs within this cone, within this uh, universe, is nothing other than new. It just occurs. It's not predestined in Allah's, uh, in Allah's knowledge as per some of the sects of the Qadriyyah. Or it's at least not written down in a lawh al-mahfuz. It's not predetermined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a lawh al-mahfuz. قَالَ فَإِذَا لَقِيتَ أُولَٰئِكَ فَأَخْبِرْهُمْ أَنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّنْهُمْ وَأَنَّهُمْ بُرَآءُ مِّنِّي Ibn Umar ta'ala anhuma, he said, if you meet those people, if you meet those people that are denying qadr, that are denying pre-decree, tell them, tell them that, come and sit and have a word with me and it doesn't matter. It's okay, you have your interpretation and I have my interpretation. Is that, is that what he said? He didn't say that. These people that are, that are denying qadr, they say that Allah didn't write al-qadr in lawh al-mahfuz. If you meet them, then tell them to come sit with me and uh, we'll discuss things. Maybe, you know, they might be right. Did he say this? He didn't say this. What did he say? Tell them that I am free from them and they are free from me. Tell them I've got nothing to do with them and they've got nothing to do with me. مَا قَبِلَ اللَّهُ مِّنْهُ حَتَّى يُؤْمِنَ بِالْقَدْرِ Now Abdullah ibn Umar, to emphasize this, he makes al-halaf. He swears by Allah, by he in whose, in whose hand is the life of Abdullah ibn Umar. I swear by he in whose hand is my life. I swear by Allah, if these people that have arisen in Basra, Denying, denying qadr, denying pre-decree. If they were to give in charity an amount that is equal to Mount Uhud, who has seen Mount Uhud? Massive. Absolutely massive. I remember we used to, when we used to go uh, shopping for, you know, uh, groceries and stuff, the supermarket, oh, the supermarket, uh, uh, one of the supermarkets that we used to go for shopping for, it's uh, past Uhud. It's past Mount Uhud. You go there for your, you know, like your saints, your equivalent of saints priests in, in, in Al Madina. Okay? You'd be driving, Uhud has started, and you're still driving, and Uhud still hasn't finished. It's a massive range. Massive range. That whole range, imagine, you've got to think about what's being said here. That massive range. If it was gold, gold, imagine, 
gold and the value of gold. But you sahib al-bid'ah, you are sahib al-bid'ah, you're upon innovation of al-qadr, denying al-qadr. You say that Allah, He hasn't written down the decrees in Allah al-Mahfuz. If you're a person of innovation, harboring that type of innovation, none of that Allah will accept from you. Up until what? Up until you believe in Al-Qadr. And then once Ibn Umar, he said this, he then said, and my father, Umar Ibn Al-Khattab, narrated to me, and then he narrated this whole hadith. So that's the context of this hadith. That's the context within which, which this hadith, it was narrated. Yani two men came to Ibn Umar anhuma, and they wanted to seek advice concerning this innovation that had occurred. So then Umar, Ibn Umar anhuma, he then said uh, what he said concerning these people, and then he cited this hadith, he narrated this hadith on the authority of his father. Why? Because... Uh, why, what's, the, what's the reason? What's the shahid? Why did Ibn Umar anhuma, uh, cite this hadith here? The, these two people came asking about a people that are speaking about al-qadr, about pre-decree. And then Ibn Umar, he refutes them. What's the munasabah? Because amongst the pillars of Iman that are mentioned in this hadith is Al-Iman in Al-Qadr. We apologize to the brothers for having gone beyond 45 minutes. I think it's, we've done maybe 50 minutes. As we said, we want to keep it to 45 minutes. But this one here, I couldn't help just leave halfway. So, but inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll try to keep it to 40, 45 minutes. Uh, and we'll continue with this explanation of this hadith. Again, it will probably take two, three, who knows how many more sittings before we have a, a, uh, a good understanding, an understanding that is appropriate for our level for this particular hadith. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.